Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Hey, if you're new to Venture, maybe this is your first week here. We've been in a series for a long time. We've been going through a book of the Bible called Romans. And uh, it's one of those books that you can't just rush through because in it, it gives you a full picture of what is the gospel? What's the good news? And so if you're here today, whether you're new or not, if you could take out your Bible or a Bible and turn to the book of Romans. And so maybe you have your Bible on your phone. If you brought one with you, the blue Bibles in front of you, they're there for use and they're the same translation I'm using. And in fact, if you turn in the blue Bible to page 1,125, we're gonna be looking at Romans 11. And you're gonna need a Bible in front of you because we're gonna walk through that text in it together because there's some things that Paul's explaining in this that really you don't see anywhere else in the Bible. In fact, this whole section we've been in from Romans 9 through 11, I told you when we began the last few weeks of it, it's kind of a side study that Paul has been doing about the people of Israel, the Jewish people. Because as he laid out this, this plan of God, that the, the gospel of God, that it changes lives, this big hanging question has been, yep, but if Jesus is the Messiah, if God's done this, he's had this plan, what happened to his own people? What happened to the Jewish people? That as a people group as a whole, they've not embraced Jesus as Messiah. And in Romans nine, Paul stepped back and he said, well, there's a plan of God from eternity past that just being in a people group doesn't mean you're part of the people of God. And, and then in Romans 10, he, he looked at it and he said, and, and there's a responsibility that the Jewish people, that the decisions they've made in it, that it's open to anyone, Jew or Greek or Gentile or wherever you're from in the world. They gotta make a decision around it. And so Romans 9, he talked about Israel's past. And Romans 10, he talked about Israel present. Romans 11, he's going to go, so now what? Where, where are they and what is Israel's future? Are they part of God's plan anymore? Or is he done with them? And, and as you look at it, there is this kind of question of when you think about the people of Israel, that, that what they would consider their holy scriptures or what we call the Old Testament, we track the same parts of the Bible. We look to the roots of it. Jesus was a Jew. He came among the Jewish people. And yet he's not accepted as Messiah. In fact, it was interesting uh, a few years ago, uh, the, the Jewish magazine Moment asked several prominent Jewish thought leaders, actors, writers, their concept of when you hear Messiah, what do you think today? Now listen to their response to us. Amos Oz, he's a novelist. He said, Messiah may be around the corner. That's where he should always be. In the Jewish tradition, we don't sit idly by waiting for Messiah, but we're always expecting him. Rabbi Peter Schweitzer said years ago, a popular evangelical Christian bumper sticker said, I found it. He said the Jewish version of that would be, I'm still looking for it. Lucette Legnato is a reporter. She said, people have stopped believing in God and the possibility of miracles and the mystical and most of all, a mystical belief at all. The idea that someone's gonna come along and make the world all better, I, I think it's a sad development of the modern world we don't believe anymore. 
Deb Marglin, a playwright said, most people think the Messiah has already come, but Jews are waiting. It could be anybody. It's a very sexy idea. There's a blind date with the sacred that awaits you at any moment. Eye roll, okay. <laughs> Ruth Messenger, she's the CEO of Jewish World Service. She said the Messiah doesn't connote that some entity, deity, or event will suddenly arrive and change the circumstances in our lives. That's a notion of childhood wish fulfillment. Maim Bialik, she's a neuroscientist, actress, one of the new hosts of Jeopardy. She said the concept of Messiah is a general notion that we are partners in making the world better and moving the world forward. The Messiah is a progress participation, suiting up and showing up for life. And, and you hear, hear these different voices and I wanna be careful in that because if you were to get Jewish people together, depending on their background, some might be more modern today and they go, oh, there's not an actual Messiah. Some are, are very orthodox looking for Messiah. Some are very rigorous in that. But as a whole, you look at it and you go, man, what, why didn't you accept Jesus as Messiah? And in light of that, is God done with them? That was the question that Paul was being asked. And so he answers it in Romans 11. Read with me as he, he says at the beginning of it. He says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. Remember that, that make a noito, absolutely not. Come on, man. He said, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham. He said, I'm Jewish. <laughs> Don't X me out. I, I have fully embraced it. He said, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? He says, Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars and I alone am left. They seek my life. But what does God reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So in answer to this question, the first thing that Paul tells us is it's not a full rejection. You, you can look at it and go, man, has God, has God rejected them or have they fully rejected God? And he goes, no, even among the Israelites, there are Christians. He said, I'm a Christian. Many of the leaders of the church at that time were Jewish. He says, we're Jewish in our faith and Christians. And, and then he points back to Israel's history. He goes, this isn't new, by the way. And he goes all the way back to Elijah. And I don't know if you remember the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19, when Elijah, at that time, there was Ahab and Jezebel were ruling over Israel and they had forsaken God and they had turned to false gods. And the, and the nation was, was in bad, bad shape. And, and Elijah had this showdown with the prophets of Baal that served Jezebel, the queen. And post that showdown, Elijah is running for his life and you remember, he crashes and he sleeps. And then finally he meets God alone. And when he meets God alone, Elijah's kind of having that uh, follower of God pity party. And he goes, well, I'm it. I'm the only one. Everybody else has forsaken you. There's nobody left. And, and God says, hey, Elijah, I got this. You're not alone. Now in Israel, there, there's 7,000 who never bowed down to those false gods. 
7,000 people, they're, they're there, they're faithful. Now, let me remind you, 7,000 is a small number when you think of the nation as a whole. So God's not telling him, oh, everything's great. He's going, yeah, no, this is a time where as a people, they've turned. But I've got a remnant. I've got a group that's been faithful. And, and you see this all throughout history where, where you can look at any place where you go, man, it is in trouble, it's over. You know, in, in China, when communism moved into China and all of the foreign missionaries were kicked out and a lot of people were like, oh man, Christianity's done in China. What they forgot about is God had a remnant there and the Chinese church went, went from a small church to a couple of hundred million who, who would embrace that because God was working in it. And, and so Paul looks at the Jewish people now and he says, hey, you may look at it as a nation as a whole, but there's still a remnant that's there. There's followers like me who fully embrace, as Paul's saying, his Jewish heritage. But notice he does put these warning words. Read on with me, verse seven. What then Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. So those who were chosen by God, we looked at that in Romans chapter nine. But there's a hardening of a group. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. David as well, he's quoting Isaiah and David. So he says, again, this isn't a new thing. God warned of this. Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. He says, there is a hardening over the people. Now, again, anytime you see that word hardening, it's kind of like, ooh, man, that's hard that God lets them have a stupor over them or they cannot see it. And, and I would just say in scripture, we're back at that place. That's why we started in Romans nine, that tension between God's sovereignty and then our human free will, that God says, I've lost none that were a part of my plan. But also in that human free will, and anytime you see hardening, and let me make sure this is really clear. God never hardens someone away from what they wanted to do. So there's never been a person who says, man, I, I wanna follow Jesus, I love Jesus, and God says, no, you will be hardened, you will turn. When you see hardening, it's God giving them over to what they have chosen. And every time they take that step away from truth, and, and that concept of hardening in it, when you walk away from truth, it, it, think of it, when you think of hardening, you just get more set in where you are. And that heart gets a little harder to receiving truth. And you don't wanna see it anymore. And so as you look at the nation, he says, man, there, there's this hardening. We're gonna see, he, he describes it as a partial hardening over the nation as a whole. So the first step is, it's not a full rejection. The next part of this, he says, it's not a fruitless rejection, by the way. It isn't just failure. It isn't that God looks at it and goes, oh man, I blew it with that nation. No. Paul says, look how God worked it into his plan. Read with me in verse 11. So I ask, did they, did Israel stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. In other words, did they stumble just because it was worthless and they stumbled and it's over? He goes, no, rather through their trespass, through their stumbling, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespasses means riches for the world, and if their failures mean riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? 
So he said, if their stumbling has opened the door for the whole Gentile world, for them to believe in a new way, man, how much more is full inclusion, full belief on their part going to mean? And so you see that phrase, you go, full belief, what does that mean? He'll tell us a little bit later. Verse 13, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. So he's not writing this to a Jewish audience. Remember, he's writing it to the Roman church. So he wants us to learn from this because you can come to this section, you can kind of go, well, okay, you know, that's between God and the Israelites. How does that impact me? Paul says, no, you need to learn from this. Look in verse 13, he says this. He says, I'm speaking to you Gentiles isn't as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what would their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits, uh, as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. So, so he says, hey, you as a Gentile world, as you see this, he says, here's my goal. I want to see the Gentile church. I want to see it grow around the world in every nation, every people. I want to see Jesus so impact them, their homes, their lives, their families in a way that the people of my heritage, my Jewish brothers and sisters would look at that and they go, oh man, I want that. I'm jealous for that. What, what is going on with them? I want that too. And then he uses this analogy. First remember he said, if the lump is holy, then the rest of the dough is holy. So he's saying, hey, it started with the Jews and, and then we're the manifestation. And then he's gonna move to an illustration of an olive tree. Read with me and I'll explain it if you get a little confused. Verse 17, he said, if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others, now share in the nourishing root of the olive branch. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say branches were broken off so that I may be granted, grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So, not, so do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who've fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? And some of you are going, what in the world is he talking about with all these olive trees and branches? He, they would understand it. This audience knew this a lot more. Unfortunately, especially those of us live here in Silicon Valley, doubt you're doing a lot of grafting per se of your olive trees. But if you were back in that time, you'd understand it more. You, you have a tree and, and he's saying there's dead branches. And when these branches, they just died, then these wild branches were grafted in. And, and what he's describing is Israel, the people, the Jewish people were the original olive tree. Our faith came out of them. That's why when we read through the Old Testament, you'll notice it's focused on one people. It's, it's preparing. That's why Jesus came through that. They were that tree. But in their unbelief, they don't just, oh, I get to be a part of the people of God, but I don't believe in Jesus as Messiah. God says it doesn't work that way. 
And so the, the cut away in that, and so then we, and so anybody, no matter what nation you're from, if you are not Jewish, you're considered part of the Gentile world, we were grafted in, any of us that believed in Christ. And, and so he says, he looks to us and he says, you don't have any place to be arrogant, by the way. I, can, can, can I just say unequivocally, there is no place in Christianity for anti-Semitism in any form. There's no place for it. I mean, Paul goes, your very roots go back to it. And so for you to, to in any way reject someone because they're Jewish or look down on, guys, our savior was Jewish and he fully embraced his Jewish heritage and identity. So there's no place for that. But even a step beyond that, there's no place for, for us as the church to, to look at them, well, they blew it. Well, they're done. Paul, Paul says, hey, if God is willing to hold the line with the unbelief of even his chosen people, the Jews, don't you assume just because you've been a part of the church or around Christianity that if you hold that same unbelief that you're in, don't assume that your heart can't be hardened as well. The kindness and the severity of God. His kindness that's open to all, but he actually means what he says. When he says Jesus is the way, the, the only way, and he calls people to that. And, and so you look at it and you go, so is he done with them completely? Here's one of my favorite parts of it. It's not a final rejection. It's not a final rejection by the Jewish people as a whole. It's certainly not a final rejection by God. God always extends salvation. In fact, we're going to read a prophetic part of this passage. Look, look, and this is saying this is still to come with the nation of Israel. Read with me in verse 25. He says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. There, there's this hardening over the nation as a whole. They don't believe. They're not looking at Jesus as Messiah. It's a mystery. I love how he puts it as a mystery that you go, man, why do they not see it? And I don't know if you've ever had conversations. I've had conversations where I've shared the gospel with Jews. I remember one young man and we were sitting in Central Park and we were walking through, we walked through Isaiah 53 and how it points so much of the language of this Old Testament prophecy points to Jesus. We looked at Psalm 22 that points to Christ's crucifixion on the cross. And I'll never forget, kind of at the end of the conversation, he said, well, yeah, you know, as I look at that, I think Jesus is probably the Messiah for the Gentiles. But I just don't think he is for our, us. And, and I told him, I said, I've not been reading New Testament passages. These are your passages. What do you do with this? And, and I remember walking away that, that mystery of, oh God, would you open his eyes? There's so much truth that's embedded. In fact, as you study and you read through the, the Old Testament, you'll see Jesus over and over again, how everything points to Jesus in that. Paul says it's a mystery right now. And, and we certainly feel that. He says in this way, all Israel though, uh, let me finish 25, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God 
are irrevocable. He never revokes them. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that mercy be shown to you and they may also receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. And, and so he describes it in this passage and it's a prophecy to come and we don't know when this will be, but he says, there's gonna come a time and he, he calls it the fullness of the Gentiles has come. In other, other words, the Gentile church, the church in all the world has reached that point and some people think it's when the gospel has actually gone to every nation in the world. Now, that's one kind of interpretation of that. We don't know that full marker of it, but he said, there's this time that's gonna come when the fullness of the Gentiles has come that Israel is going to return to God. And, and he, he's talking, it can't just be, you know, for a long time people would say, well, the church has become Israel or Israel has become the church. We replaced it in that. And so these promises that were given to them were only fulfilled through the church. You, you really can't make that work here in Romans 11 because he's already dealt with the part of Israel that were members of the church, but he says there's something still to come. And in fact, if you look in Revelation, you look at the prophecies, in the end times, it talks about the fact that among the nation of Israel, there's this 144,000 that will be witnesses to the world. And as a nation, as a people group as a whole, they embrace Jesus as their Messiah. It's gonna be an awesome part of that end time to come. Until that time though, Paul looks to us as the Gentile church and he says, well, well yes, you should always share with your Jewish friends and, and you should share the gospel and you should call them to Messiah like you would with any people group in the world. But we live with the hope of what God's gonna do in the end. And, and we live in that place, because, and, and I know some of you are preparing your emails for me right now. Tim, are we in that end time? Is it, is it about to happen with that? I don't know. Here's what I do, I can say unequivocally, we are one day closer today than we were yesterday. And the New Testament says you, you live every day like Jesus is coming back. And so our goal is a church, we wanna be a part of that church that we wanna see the fullness of time. We wanna see the gospel go to every people group in every language that everybody has the opportunity. And we also as a hold as a church with this great hope that in Jesus returning, his people are gonna to return to him as well. And to me, that's a glorious promise to come. Now, as I say all that, you, you might be sitting here and you go, this is a fascinating chapter but what does it have to do with me? Well, there's a reason Paul wrote this chapter to Gentiles. And I think there's some takeaway lessons for us that I, I just, before we leave today on this, how do we learn from this? Here, here's the first thing I would say. Don't be discouraged. God is always working despite the appearances. Don't be discouraged. I, I love that he points to that remnant. He says, don't be discouraged about the people of Israel. God's still working there. God's saving Jewish people. In fact, some of our closest friends of Jewish heritage have had friends over the years. And, and, and it's so fun to listen to their stories because many of them, when they took that step of faith, when they embraced Jesus as Messiah, it came at as a cost. And there's still tension with family. But God's working there. I would say to us as a Christian who lives in the Bay Area, don't be discouraged. God's working. 
Sometimes we can get that same Elijah mentality where we get there and we go, oh God, everybody's turned against you. Do you see the latest polls? Do you see the election? Do you see what they did? Do you see what the school board did? Do you see what they did? That did. And you can kind of end that, we're the only ones left. And God says, hey, I'm working. The gospel's still going out. I don't have to be afraid in that. And we don't have to live in that fear and disillusion. Likewise, I'd say is don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. And Paul says this to us as the Gentile church. He says, hey, you don't have any cause to look down on anyone. Remember, you were the one grafted in. You, you don't look down on them and go, well, they, they blew it. If anything, and notice what his, his point in it is. Man, you should learn what does it mean for people who had been included as part of the people of God in name, but not in heart? What does it mean to be hardened? Could you be hardened in heart? And you look at that and we go, whoa, whoa, wait a second. What are, you, what are you saying, Paul? Because didn't you teach that, you know, once I'm saved in Christ, that's forever. And, and I teach that unequivocally. Once you're saved, you're always saved. But scripture also teaches those who are saved, they continue on in their belief. Once you're saved, you forever follow. Doesn't mean you do it perfectly. Doesn't mean there can't be seasons of disobedience. Hear me on that. But I think we've got to be careful that we don't teach in the same way that a lot of the people of Israel said, well, we're the people of God. We're Jewish. We're in no matter what. And remember, we saw that early in Romans 2. Paul says, no, that's not enough. You have to have Jesus too. And Paul looks at this Gentile church and there's people that claim Christianity that would say, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm in, you know, I've heritage and that. But they have absolutely no desire to actually follow Jesus. They have no desire to align their life to him in any way. And, and it's, look at scripture. I mean, there's some sobering scriptures in this. First Timothy 4 says, the spirit expressly says that in later times, in end times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciousness are seared. Paul says, I mean, you, you always need to be aware within the church. And he's not saying people lost their faith. He's saying people that were attached to the church, part of a Christian church were being in truth and they walk away from it. And, and part of it is, he says, it's demonic teaching. Now it doesn't mean they walked away and they joined the occult and they're doing Satan sacrifices. But they walk away because they've got a new truth that, you know, kind of walks away from Jesus. Jesus really wasn't that real person. They walk away because they start just kind of deconstructing all these core beliefs out of it. And there's a hardening that happens. Hebrews says it this way. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you of an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Again, this warning here of check your own heart. That, that am I purposefully taking steps away from what I know to be true? And in that process, I'm becoming harder 
to the truth. And, and there's a reality that Hebrews is pointing out. Man, a lot of times it's our behavior that ends up shaping our belief. And what I mean in that is, it's, it's like, I, I want to kind of participate in the behavior like everybody else in the world. I want to do these things. I know the Bible says that. I know that. As long as I've kind of just prayed that prayer and I've got my ticket to heaven, I'm in. I'm good, aren't I? But I just want to live this way. And, and if you look in scripture, and probably one of me, for me, one of the most sobering passages is Jesus's parable of the four soils. Remember when he said, the sower goes out and he, he casts the seed, which is the good news. It's the gospel. And he said, there's, there's four types of soil. One soil just rejects it. And maybe you're here and you go, yeah, that's me. I've rejected it. Got it. Jesus said, yeah, I recognize there are people like that. He says, there's a couple of soils that, man, they spring toward it. In fact, they, they would make expressions of belief, but it's not real. There's no roots in it. He says, the final soil, it, there's roots and you follow in it. You live in it. And I don't want to get in a huge sidetrack because some of you are scared to death right now. You're like, Tim, are you saying I can lose my salvation? No, no one who is saved can lose their salvation. But I would say this, if you are saved, you follow Jesus. And so if you have no desire to follow Jesus, Paul looks at you and goes, whoa, whoa, that's a dangerous place to be. If you're in a place where you go, yeah, I, I just, <laughs> I'm going to go over here and you're taking steps away from that truth. You, you need to realize it's shaping you more than you realize. And hearts become hard quicker than you realize. Third lesson out of this, don't be ignorant. If you wanna grow as a Christian, learn about your roots. Here's all I would say, because I, I talked to a lot of Christians who they love the New Testament and they ignore the Old Testament. Um, there's all these websites today, ancestry.com. You can learn, you know, my ethnicity and all these things, my genetic code with it. If you're a Christian, your roots come out of the Jewish people. And so the more you learn about the Old Testament, the more you read through that history, the more you start seeing Jesus and all those parts of it, I promise you it will strengthen your faith. And so I'd encourage you if you've never done that, maybe in your quiet time, make a goal. Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read through more of the Old Testament than I have. Uh, you can go online. The Bible Project is a great resource because for every book of the Bible, they have a short video that kind of explains it and you can learn more about your heritage in that. You will appreciate more the belief system as you understand the roots that it came out of. Uh, fourth thing I would say in this is don't be irresponsible. Each of us is to live in a way that makes others jealous for Jesus. I love that phrase that Paul says. He says, hey, I want the Gentile church to be living in such a way that Jewish people look at it and go, I want that. When you think of jealousy, if I'm jealous of someone, I want what they have. I, I, I'm looking at them and I'm going, man, there's something different about them. And so Paul looks at us, any of us that know Jesus, you and I, we all have a responsibility that we're living in a way that when somebody interacts with us, even if they don't know about it, even if they've never heard about Jesus, they go, man, there's something different about you. There's something different about how you, you live. There's something different about how you approach what's going on here at work. Because everybody else is angry all the time and you're not angry all the time. Everybody else here is looking out for themselves all the time and you're not that way. There's something different about how, how you two treat each other in marriage. 
Man, there's a respect for each other. There's a commitment out of that. Man, there's something different about your household. There's something different about your lifestyle. There's something different about the way you date compared to others. I don't see this, man, this frantic desperation in you. You have a security about yourself in it. See, all, all of that is Paul saying, man, Jesus should be changing our life in a way. And especially as the church, when the church is together, there should be something different in the way that the city, when they look at us, they go, man, you guys serve in a way. You give away money. You, you, you show up and help. Why do you do that? And, and all of it is Paul saying, yeah, we want to so show them Jesus, they would be jealous for him. They would say, I want that too. I need that in my life. You know, years ago in China, there was a group of missionaries. They, they were in language school. So they were there to learn the language. And the first day of language school, the teacher walked in and she didn't say a word. In fact, she walked down the center aisle and then went to the back and then went to the front and then went to the back and then walked out of the room. Never said a word. And then she came back in and she said, did, did you notice anything different about me? And they said, you were silent. And she said, okay, yeah, other than that. And they kind of talked about it. And then finally, one woman kind of said sheepishly, well, when you walked by, I did notice your perfume is really nice. I was going to ask you what it is. She says, that's exactly the lesson I wanted you to learn. She, she said, it will be months and even years before you have the ability to share Jesus with your words. But everywhere you go, you're bringing the fragrance of Christ with you. And how you live can have an impact. Now, I would just challenge each of us. And it's a question I've been asking myself. As I'm going, as I'm driving, as I'm interacting with people, as somebody cuts me off or somebody's rude with me, before my response or before you post something online, just ask yourself, will this make them jealous for Jesus? Will what I'm about to say make somebody look at it and go, yeah, I want that too? Or will they just chalk it off again and go, oh, those Christians. See, Peter puts it this way. I love this. He says, even if you should suffer for righteousness, even he's talking to a church that's persecuted. He goes, you're going to suffer. Even if they're treating you bad, you're going to be blessed. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be troubled. In your hearts, honor Christ as Lord is holy. In other words, you keep obeying Jesus in the way he calls you to. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you. So as they're rubbing shoulders with you, as they see you, and finally they look at you and they go, you gotta tell me about your life because you're different. He says, you're ready to talk to them about Jesus. Now you do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So even when they slander you, even when they say bad things about you, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Live in such a way that if somebody says bad stuff about you, they look stupid. They look like when somebody's running you down, everybody else goes, man, have you ever been around him? Have you ever been around her? Yeah, I don't believe like her. She's a Christian. She thinks Jesus actually died and rose again. But if, but if you ever interacted with her, man, she's different. He's different. 
they're different. And at the very least, I'm jealous for that. A couple other takeaways, and then we'll finish out. Uh, um, actually, one more takeaway. Don't ever give up. God always keeps his promises. Don't ever give up. As we're living this, as we're doing this, as we're interacting in our culture, even when we feel like we're the remnant, even when we feel like it's small, Paul looks at the people of Israel and he says, hey guys, God hasn't given up on them. Don't you give up on them. I love that line when he says, the promises of God are irrevocable. In other words, when God's made a promise, he can't revoke it because it's his character. It's based on who he is. And, and so Paul says, hey, you don't worry. God's made some promises to Israel. He's gonna keep them. Their Messiah's coming. He's coming back again. They're gonna turn back to him. Things about the land and things about that that we don't even fully understand. God's got that. He's kept his promises to them. And some of you need to hear that today because God's kept his promises to you. Whether you see it right now or not, whether you feel it right now or not, Guys, if God can do a history with the people of Israel, and it's a complicated history as you walk through it, I promise he's got you too. And he's got a plan for you too. And he knows what he's doing with you too. But you gotta trust him. And, and, and for some of you today, you know what trusting him looks like? You, you need to step out of kind of living under this umbrella of cultural Christianity and actually trust him and start following him with your life. For some of you today, you, you need to stop living in so much fear like P Peter told us. There's so much anger about what's happening around us and go, you know, God is actually in control. And I will stand for truth and I will fight for truth. But I want to do it in a way that when people look at me, they go, man, there's something different about you. And I go, oh, let me tell you who's changed everything for me. It's Jesus. You're not seeing me. What you're seeing is Jesus and what he's done. And I would hope, boy, the more you see him, you'd want that in your life. And some of you today, and, and hear me, you're going through such a hard time and the enemy wants you to think God has forgotten you. God doesn't care about you. God is not for you. And hear me, it's not true. God's made promises to you. And in the same way that he is the God who says, I will fulfill every promise for the people of Israel that I ever made. He's the same God that made that promise to you. And you can hold on it today and you can trust it today because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come and we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for how you've worked through Israel and will continue to work, how you've opened the door to those of us who call ourselves Gentiles, the rest of the world. Father, I pray as a church, you've called us here in the Bay Area. Could we be people who live in a way that when someone interacts with us, they're jealous for you. They want you. Lord, could we be a people that we don't just claim this Christianity in name, but we, we claim it in our lifestyle as well. 
Lord, could we be a people today? And I, I pray specifically for, there's brothers and sisters that are hearing this. Could we be a people that we believe your promises no matter what? Because we know that you are a God who's faithful to them till the end. And we pray this in Christ's name. Hey, before uh, the worship team comes and sings, we finish out a lot of times by singing. It's, it's a way of uh, a proclamation of what God's done. Paul does the same thing in this passage. You know, we've been in this weighty section of scripture and when he comes to the end of it, he goes, hey, we just gotta pause for a minute and praise God. And he writes what he calls a benediction. We call it that, of this, this praise over it. And so before we finish out today, I want you to stand I'm gonna read Paul's benediction over us and then have our, our worship team lead us in worship so that we can respond the same way. Listen to Paul's words. He says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? Who's given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him, and through him and to him are all things forever. To him be the glory forever, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.